Welcome to the Healthcare Compliance Pad. My name is Susan Freed. I'm a healthcare attorney and your host. I understand how difficult compliance can be, especially for small providers, where oftentimes the compliance officer wears multiple hats. Every day, I work with compliance professionals, probably a lot like you, who are dealing with increasingly complex issues and oftentimes doing it with less resources. That's why we created this podcast. Each week, I'll share a simple, actionable tip designed to elevate compliance within your organization and hopefully make your job a little bit easier. Whether you're new to compliance or just looking for some new ideas, this podcast was created with you in mind. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really glad you joined me today because we have a tip that is super, super easy. It's completely free and it applies to anyone working in healthcare compliance. I'm talking about the recent general compliance program guidance published by the OIG back in November. Just a quick reminder on who the OIG is. OIG stands for Office of Inspector General within the United States Department of Health and Human Services. The OIG oversees programs administered by HHS, like Medicare and Medicaid. One of the big things they strive to do is to prevent fraud, waste, and abuse in those public health programs. One of the ways it does this is to issue lots of guidance and recommendations for providers that participate in those programs. The OIG also has enforcement powers, so they can investigate violations of the fraud and abuse laws. They can also levy penalties against providers for violating federal fraud and abuse laws. As healthcare attorneys, we pay really close attention to any guidance that the OIG gives, given their importance in overseeing compliance. Over the past 25 years, the OIG has published what we refer to as compliance program guidances. These have historically been provider-specific recommendations for implementing an effective compliance program. They sort of followed a similar template in that they would set out the pillars of an effective compliance program, and then they would discuss specific risk areas applicable to that type of provider. So there'd be one for hospitals, one for nursing homes, one for pharmaceutical manufacturers, a different one for physician offices. You get the idea. If you have a compliance program today, it is highly likely that was drafted based on these compliance program guidances. The reason we're talking about this today is that in November, the OIG announced that it was somewhat changing its approach to issuing guidances like this. They're trying to be more user friendly. And so they're not necessarily throwing out or dramatically changing their prior guidance or advice, but they are updating it. As part of that modernization process, they issued a document called the General Compliance Program Guidance. It's a 91-page document which provides a generalized overview of the federal fraud and abuse laws talks about the seven elements of an effective compliance program. It provides ideas on how to adapt these elements for a really small provider as well as a really large provider. It discusses some of the other considerations the OIG wants you to think about. And then it provides links to other resources and compliance-related programs that they have available. 
If you work in healthcare compliance, you need to make sure you get a copy of this document and that you keep it at your fingertips. We have a link to it in the show notes. Um, Today's tip is just that. Get the OIG's general compliance program guidance and make sure you keep it where you have access to it. Before we talk about how I want you to use this guidance, let's first talk a bit about what this guidance is not. It's not a compliance program form that you can simply cut and paste, slap your organization's name on it, and use it as a compliance plan. It's also not an exhaustive list of all the issues your compliance program should address. Compliance programming is should be specifically tailored to your organization and provider type. This general compliance program guidance is just that. Generalized recommendations for all healthcare providers that the OIG is putting out there to assist you with developing your specific policies. It's also not a get out of jail free card. So while we want you to implement OIG recommendations, to take those into account, to tailor them to your organization, we obviously want you to have a compliance program. These things are much better for non-compliance issues if you have all of this in place, but they aren't going to absolve the organization or individuals from responsibility or liability if there is wrongdoing. So I don't want you to get the false impression that you can show that you implemented a compliance program and these recommendations, and that's going to make it such that you don't have um, to pay a penalty or to return an overpayment. That's absolutely not the case. With that in mind, here's how I recommend you use this guidance. All of you should give it a careful read. So it's not enough just to go and download it, although that's the first step, right? I actually want you to read through it. It is 91 pages, but it is a fairly quick read. If you're new to compliance, it's going to give you a really helpful summary of the federal fraud and abuse laws, the penalties for violating those laws, an overview of the seven elements of an effective compliance program, as well as other considerations that the OIG wants you to think about. I keep this guidance handy, especially if you're new, because it can be um, a great starting point when you're assessing a particular compliance issue. And so make sure you read through it and have it handy in the future. If you're a more experienced compliance professional, don't think this guidance isn't for you or that you already know everything in it. I guarantee you're going to probably learn something new when you read through this document. It's definitely worth your time, especially sections three, four, and five. Section three walks through the seven elements of an effective compliance program. It gives the OIG's recommendation on how you implement those in a meaningful way. All of you should make sure you go through it with your own compliance programs and policies in mind. So as you're reading through this document, I recommend that you make notes of any of the recommendations that you aren't currently doing or maybe doing a bit differently. When you're done, I then take that list and talk about it internally with your senior leadership team, your compliance colleagues. You might want to involve your legal counsel in that process and consider whether any updates to your policies should be made in light of this general program guidance. I would also make note of any tips in this guidance that you think are helpful or that you want to try. Again, the guidance 
isn't a dramatic departure from the prior compliance program guidances. A lot of it is the same. There are some additional new things in there. It's going to be a good refresher for you if you have a compliance program and if your organization has been around for a while, it's very likely those policies were drafted when those guidances first came out, which could be in the late 90s or early 2000s. So it's definitely a good exercise to refresh your memory on the recommendations and look back through your policies to see what which ones you're currently doing um, or may want to consider doing moving forward. I did this exercise myself. When I went through it, I pulled out things that fell within two buckets. First, I looked at recommendations from the OIG, either that I thought many providers aren't doing or maybe doing a bit differently than what the OIG is recommending. I also pulled out any of the tips that I thought were particularly helpful or simple to do but might have a big impact. I'll just briefly share some of my takeaways. The first one was board reporting. I think it's pretty common among healthcare providers that if they have a compliance officer, the compliance officer is making an annual report to the board or the governing body. What I don't know is how common it is for that compliance officer to be going to the board meetings more frequently than that. The OIG recommends that the compliance officer be routinely meeting with the board and no less frequently than quarterly. So I made a note to check in with various clients to see, hey, how often is your compliance officer attending board meetings in addition to that annual report? I've also made a note to um, look at the training that my clients are doing. So one of the things I noted in the OIG recommendations is that they're recommending not just mandatory compliance training for employees, but also for independent contractors. Now, I know that mandatory compliance training for employees and routinely is very, very common. What I don't know is how many providers are actually doing it for independent contractors and independent contractors that work for other organizations. So your contract might be with the local hospital. The local hospital may be sending employees over to provide services at your organization are you requiring those hospital employees to do your compliance training? Are you relying on the hospital to provide that training? I'm just not sure how providers are implementing this and ensuring it gets done and whether they're incorporating that in their contractor evaluation processes. Similar issue for medical staff members. If you have a medical staff and you have non-employed medical staff members, are medical staff members taking that mandatory compliance training? One of the tips that I thought was helpful and really pretty easy to implement was putting compliance as a standing agenda item on regular meetings. I think it would be a great idea to think about all of the various standing meetings you have within your organization over the course of a calendar year and really think about which one of these could benefit by having compliance attend or provide maybe a routine update. So maybe they don't attend every meeting, but they attend quarterly. In my experience, standing agendas don't get updated very often, so it's also a good opportunity to actually review what is the standing agenda for these meetings. If it makes sense for compliance to be part of that agenda or to attend these meetings occasionally, it's a great opportunity, again, to try to make your compliance programming more effective by more communication with various groups about compliance issues. 
The last one I'll highlight is actually from section five of the guidance. It discusses other compliance considerations. One of them I made note of here was the recommendation under payment incentives that compliance officers be attuned to and knowledgeable of how the organization is reimbursed and particularly any factors that could increase or decrease the reimbursement to the business. One example the OIG gives is payers that pay based on performance or quality and how it can be a risk that if you're incentivized to have high quality to perform well, there can be gaming of data. And so that would be an area, a compliance concern where the compliance officer would want to be aware of how this impacts reimbursement so they understand that there's a potential risk there and they're monitoring that. Because reimbursement methodologies vary depending on the payer and because they can change right over time, I've made a note to just make sure I'm touching base with my clients, particularly the CFOs, to ask, hey, how are you involving your compliance officer in this process? How are you keeping them up to date with how the reimbursement methodologies change? And is compliance in tune with that? Are they looking for these potential risk areas, making sure they're auditing those areas so that they don't have um, a compliance issue that we're overlooking or not understanding. Those were my some of my takeaways. Again, go through that when you have some time with your notepad and your policies in mind and really think through whether you're doing everything they recommend. And if you're not, if it's still reasonable for you not to be doing those things, or if there's anything you think you need to tweak or change, or any tips you really like that you want to implement. One last note, importantly, this is not the last of the updated guidance we're going to get from the OIG. That's actually a good thing. So this is a general overview for all healthcare providers. They're also going to be issuing, again, provider-specific compliance guidances. So you should be on the lookout for the specific compliance guidance that relates to your organization type because those are supposed to be forthcoming starting this year. That's this week's tip. Really simple and easy, probably our easiest one yet. Download the OIG's General Compliance Program Guidance. Make sure you keep a copy of it handy. Read through it. Flag recommendations you aren't currently doing or maybe doing differently. Plan to talk to your senior leadership and compliance teams and your legal counsel about that. Make any changes that you guys think are appropriate and take advantage of those tips that you find helpful. That wraps this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast either on our website, thehealthcarecompliancepod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with me via the website or on social media. Remember, compliance doesn't have to be complicated or costly, but it does have to be consistent. I'll be here next week and I hope you will too.